I disagree. I disagree. A lot of things you say I find very interesting. <laughs> First time on the show. I love that. I know you do. I really do. So hokey. So we were talking uh, just before we hit record. I was saying that Dan Duran, who is an international movie star, you can say that, by the way, Dan Duran has appeared internationally in some of the biggest films ever made, uh, including Iron Man, Spider-Man. Yeah, I know. Some of the other man's shows. What Iron Man were you in? No Iron Man. He was in Iron Man. I was going to say, because I'm not huge on those films, but I love the Iron Man series. I don't recall seeing you. Well, he should have been. There should have been an anchor spot in one of those movies. (laughs) And further in. He was in Batman, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Ant-Man. Yeah, none of those, but great. Thanks for thinking of me. He's friends with Fred and Glassman. Yeah, Dan Duran. So we thought Dan Duran, international movie anchor, should do a series of vignettes where he goes around explaining the sights and sounds of Peterborough, Ontario, his new homeland. Right. And it would be called Dan Duran's Peterborough. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And you pushed, Fred's pushback was that people in Peterborough don't cotton to people in Toronto. Oh, no. This isn't Toronto, you know. <laughs> right. I, I heard that once. I heard that a thousand times while I was there. Did you? Did you count it? And I used to look around and go, oh, well, no kidding. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No kidding. Yeah. You're right. So you heard that a thousand times, really. You, you, counted, you counted it up. You went, oh, that's you know, the thousandth time I've heard that. Fred's got to realize this is not Toronto, you know. Oh, Okay. But anyway, back to the fun and frivolity of Dan Duran. Um, but no, it, what's, ironic, what's ironic, ironic about what you said and what they said to you is there's nobody who could relate more, you know, with a Toronto sensibility, but also sort of, and I say this with respect, you know, a, a smaller town sensibility. It's not like, oh, Fred and his fucking ascot came in here with his, you know, his Italian <laughs> shoes and his jaunty hat to the one side and saying, can someone get my tea? <laughs> oh, exactly. Anyway. Anyways, back to Dan Duran's Peterborough. Dan, um, you are not only an international movie star. Yeah. Would you say you're the most famous person in Peterborough? Uh, I no, I I would say Linda Cash is probably more famous than but I. But you're one too. It's a one-two punch. So maybe Linda co-hosts. Uh, call it yeah, yeah. Dan and Linda's Peterborough. Okay, that's a good. Was idea. that in Peterborough or from Peterborough? Because there's a lot of people from Peterborough that are a lot more famous, and I love my Dan Duran. Yeah. But do you mean in, like right now, the most famous person? That's what because I mean. Because most yeah. people who become famous in Peterborough get the hell out. Sure right? they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dan, is it, it is your does your fame uh like do people like I don't know, I've been to Peterborough when you've been there. Like do people on the street say hello, Dan Duran? There's some that do, yeah. From the weather yeah. from the weather show and the morning yeah. show. All of that. And then some I, have no idea who I am and just you know, it's fine. That's good. <laughs> I think you like your name- privacy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should name the lift lock after you. The Dandaran lift lock. Cock lock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> there we go. 
Wouldn't that? <laughs> there we go. There we go. Hey, believe me, when he was going through all that uh, that man stuff, I was going to say, "How about your own series of uh, super uh, superhero things, Wang Man? How about that?" There it well, is. Now but I, did, there I decided is. not to go there. You know why? Because you have control. And then Howard has to take it, take it there, and then I feel obliged or obligated to play. To well, play. you know me. <laughs> I'm always on the you edge. Know me, you know me. I'm always on the edge. Uh, let's get the show started. Dan Duran, international movie star and Peterborough celebrity. This episode of Humble and Fred is being broadcast to the world from the well-equipped Humble and Fred Toronto studios, from our Brampton facility with a pool, and from Lisa's house in Peterborough. And is brought to you by Bodog, the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Air Adventures, EVNet.C. .ca, Architect Outdoor Living, and our newest returning sponsor, Palma Pasta. And now, here are two men who are starting their own self-help system by showing people how to properly fart in all situations. Mm. Advanced copies of Farting with Energy coming soon to Amazon. It's humble and fresh. <laughs> That's very clever. Farting with Energies, the old Thank guys in continent show. The old guys in continent. Say, if I told you that Toronto, Canada good old Toronto was considered according to this community spirit index of the top 20 friendliest cities in the world I I, I have to finally get this off my computer but I thought we'd just start with it today Toronto is ahead of Sydney Edinburgh 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 Edinburgh, 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 yeah, Edinburgh. Okay, Edinburgh. Then I don't know. Is it anyway? So Sydney, Edinburgh, Manchester, and New York is the friendliest city according to this index of the top twenty friendliest cities in the world. Take that, Canada, who hate us. Montreal, another Canadian city, is number six. And you know Wait, what? We. <clears throat> We're not, pardon me? What number were we? I'm sorry, international movie star. I just said we're number one. Oh, I, I didn't God, quite wait, I'm sorry. Was your assistant trying to get something from no, you? I, just, <clears throat> I don't know where that comes from. Like, I love Toronto, but boy. The 10 least friendliest cities. I could tell you those. Uh, Accra, Ghana. The ta yeah da, 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 yeah according to this here's the uh, here's how they um, define it I knew you would have you know being the skeptic but again it's community so it's based on visitor return rate friendly staff community respect acceptance of diversity happiness overall and the ease of communication through a common language God damn it no no I just you know what I will reference my son who does a lot of traveling a lot of cities both in North America and abroad. And he often comments that when he gets back to Toronto, how cold it seems compared to so many other cities he visits, where people look you in the eye and give you a nod and say hello. Look at Mexico, for Christ's sake. I was going to say that. No, the, the, yeah. the three months I was in Mexico, I, was, I think I said to you guys when I got back, you, you, you're so, you get so used to people greeting you universally yeah. Yeah. on the street, and then you come back here. And, but remember, it's based on those criteria. Friendly staff, percentage of people in reviews mentioning friendly Community respect, city ranking, uh, happiness, and English proficiency score. 
Okay. There you go. English, knowing English makes it friendly. Ease of communication through a common language. Oh, I Dan, see. I'm only giving you this is according to. I would say too, um, whatever your language might be, you could find pockets um, in Toronto. Absolutely, where you could communicate. Where I got this from is from an online uh, language course uh, called Preply that I have uh, been. I'm going to use actually my first uh, session today with a uh, tutor. I've hired you. Basically, you can go on this. It, it's amazing this world of language because you know. The, I know it's going to sound stupid, but no matter what it is you're into, you can find something on the internet that will help you with it, whether you're interested in cooking or archaeology, whatever. So there's a huge online presence of tutoring whatever language you want to learn. And check this out, Dan. This is a part you'll love. You go in, you obviously put in the language you want to learn, and then you put in what you're willing to pay. <laughs> so, so... Uh, oh, two things. Do you want a native speaker? So I took, I want, so I wanted somebody from Mexico. I wanted him, I want because that's the dialect and, and accent I want to learn. And then you can put in on a sliding scale, you know, just like when you're searching an Airbnb or something, you know, you can put in the cost. Mm-hmm. I put in you know, 25 was my maximum because I don't want what I want from a tutor. What I want from this session today is I spend every day learning the words. I just want somebody to talk to. I don't want to mean, I don't even want to learn new words from this person. I just want to learn how to practice. So I found somebody in Mexico. <laughs> the first guy I found was 13 bucks. <laughs> That's too cheap. He was busy. Everybody, everybody, everybody wanted him because he's 13 bucks. For what? For 13 bucks for how long? 55, 50 minutes, 55 minutes you know, on average. Oh, okay. So my guy today, somebody, I don't even remember his name. Is that U.S. or Canadian? Canadian. Oh, okay. Wow. This reminds me of the Monty Python sketch, the, uh, you know, paying for an argument. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that the five minute argument? <laughs> but it should come to no. It should be should come as no surprise. It should come as no surprise that uh, you know you start delving in. Let's you know whatever your newest hobby is. You can find a community and resources for it. You could register yourself and make some money that way for people who want to learn English. You could actually. The thing is, though, to I know you're being hilarious as usual, but if you even this like they're they're these aren't you know this isn't set up like a mom and pop shop. This is a big. These people are all qualified. They've got some credentials. Now, if yeah. you want somebody with a master's in language to teach you the CEFR certificated you know course, that's different. This what I chose was somebody for conversational, but they definitely have credentials. Yeah, and there's a method to teaching language, too. Yes. There just is. Yeah. Because if it's not done right, I would imagine it could screw you up pretty good. There's, again, <laughs> there's a method to that uh, madness. Like some guy that's six bucks is just teaching <laughs> some yeah. random words he's heard. Yeah. Jorge. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so that's uh, where it came from. Uh, and we are considered, according to this criteria, Dan, and I know, you know, you're a Toronto hater. Uh, one of the friendliest cities on planet Earth. Um, I'll bring this up now. I'm a little bring up, bit frightened. Bring up. I'm a little bit frightened. It was announced yesterday that they may dissolve Peel Region. 
which means uh, Brampton and Mississauga would separate, become their own cities. They're their own cities now, but standalone, not part of a region. I don't know what would happen to Caledon. But there seems to be some um, bad blood through this. Brampton claiming that, Wayne, not so quick, too much of our money has gone to Mississauga, we're owed a billion dollars or whatever. But there seems to be some tension here. And I'm just, you know, if this leads to like a civil war or something, I was just going to say, that, yeah. can you imagine like, dude, the Israelis, the Palestinians, you know, there's stuff flying over your head all the time. My they're first thought is, is if there's a yeah. civil war, Brampton v. Mississauga, I'm going to go. I'm going to sign up with Bodog and take Brampton. I'm taking Brampton <laughs> right right. You'll drive down the too soft, man. <laughs> You'll drive down the 410. There'll be border guards. Oh, yeah. You know, you won't be able to, you'll have to show your ID. <laughs> papers. Nobody from Bra- Yeah. Show me your papers. It's happened. It's happened. Are you Brampton? You. Mm. You will probably become uh, one of the leaders. You'll be like the Che Guevara of the Brampton Uprising. <laughs> and I imagine the all the people in Mississauga, finally we can shed ourselves of Brampton. Bramladesh, you know. And all that stuff. Listen, I know there's some tough neighborhoods in Mississauga, but I don't see them having a chance in the Brampton v. Mississauga upcoming civil war. Yeah. Thank God I'm too old to fight. Well, maybe I'll be the strategist. <laughs> no, you'll be, you're you're going to be. You'll end up being the guy in the front of the Jeep like in Mad Max. Ah! You'll be you'll be on a on a you'll be wrapped around the, some kind of souped up SUV. I'll yeah, I'll end up with a scud in my pool or something. <laughs> Dan, you see what how we create fun? Do you see how fun is created? This is fun, Dad. Right. Dan's like, why are they, what are they talking Dan's, about? All Dan's doing is counting down the seconds so he can get off and go look up some <laughs> stories from yesterday. Yeah. Mississauga has pushed for this for some time because they're 800,000. They, you know, they're one of the largest cities in Canada. Brampton, yeah. not that far behind, but it was this Bonnie uh, Crombie, I think, the, the mayor that has pushed for this. And then Ford is on side now. Yeah, but Patrick Brown has raised some monetary questions, and uh, you know that got my that got my ear when mm, money was involved. Yeah. But again, it seems to be bad blood, and who knows what this could lead to? Death and destruction. <laughs> of course, I don't really understand what the point is, though. I mean, it's eight hundred thousand, so it's a you know it's a million whatever. <clears throat> what difference does that all make? I mean, it's all one huge city anyway. In a way, I mean, I don't uh, know, actually not. But Dan, you're flying way over my head now. You may, you must Google and read. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I I don't know how much longer I'm going to be part of this community anyway so well this could be the thing that'll drive you out (laughs) you're doing cave tours now (laughs) that's right we're getting out of this war-torn landscape hellscape uh i've I've moved here in uh 1989 in the year of our lord and at the time my recollection is that brampton had a population of around three hundred and thirty to fifty thousand. Oh, when I moved moved here in the early eighties, it was just above a uh, hundred, I think. Okay, so, but we're yeah, talking about yeah. that time no, or late eighties. Yeah, it hadn't cracked three fifty ish. Mississauga. My, I'm going to do a point here quickly. Hmm. Uh, you, you can jump back in if you want, but I was going to say at the time, Mississauga was already three quarters of a million people ish. 
My point being, Brampton's grown way more in those 30 years, uh, uh, percentage-wise, than Mississauga. Yes or no? Oh, I would think, and that's the point I was going to. When I got here in the early 80s, it was just over 100. And as you said, a mere 9, 10 years later, it was over 300. So that just gives you a... uh, uh, you know, a picture of how quickly it grew back then. And since then, I think now it's pushing. I think it's over 600. Well, that's my point yeah. as, as well. Mm-hmm. Mississauga was always mm-hmm. a, a big, a much bigger <clears throat> population. If Miss, Mississauga is at what? 800,000 now? Yes. 850. It hasn't grown mm-hmm. nearly how, how much Brampton has. And I listen, even my limited Brampton experience, I've seen how far north and west of you it's grown. You know, I was talking, mm. weren't we talking about that? Because sometimes when I come and, well, I'll just swing by and visit you, and I'll go down to old Mayfield or whatever, and you can see coming in from west to east, that whole section never used to be there. Oh, no, I know. It's crazy along Mayfield here. It's uh, the construction. I mean, when Melanie moved to Georgetown, like I'm near Mayfield, and when she moved to Georgetown 10 years ago, it was a country road the whole way. And now there's development on both sides. It's interesting, too. Any of the development on the north side of Mayfield, which is is, is called Kalanen, there's huge signs saying Kalanen. Like uh, if, if it's, uh, you know, a sales office for houses, the biggest word is Kalanen. Because they want you to know if you buy here, you can say you're from Caledon, not Brampton. And I'll tell you, that's a marketing thing uh, that uh, people from Brampton, it's a bit embarrassing for us, but it's a thing and it always has been. So, Dan, are you ready to have a conversation? Because it's all going to make sense. We went from friendliest cities to the Brampton, Mississauga Civil War and the uprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. To a, a buzzword that has. And like everything else in our society, you know, there's a somebody floats a concept. It's not new, but they float a concept. And then all of a sudden there's this dark web of conspiracy. I'm referring to some referring. I'm referring to something uh, known as 15 minute cities. Now, Dan is an eco uh, warrior. You might mm-hmm. be familiar with them. Uh, Fred, is it a have you, is it a phrase you've heard? Not really. Enlighten me. Well, Dan, I mean, if you have some information, what it is, is the idea that governments are becoming, because of climate change, it's the idea that you are going to live in these 15-minute, where everything in your city is a 15-minute walking, could be walked in 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. The idea is keeping the essentials for daily life, entertainment, shopping, green space, and work close to home. The term 15-minute cities was going back in 2016 um, by a a professor in Paris, France. It's all about urban planning. So in a a way, it kind of makes sense. And, And it's weirdly... What I've been saying this since I moved to a big city in 1980. I used to tell my friends in Moose Jaw, I'd say, listen... I live in Vancouver, but the amount of Vancouver I actually use is the same amount of city I used in Moose Jaw. You know, you, you basically stay fairly local in terms of the services you use. Mm-hmm. Makes sense so far. The idea of a 15-minute city is so that you set, is so that urban planners set it up so that there's not these long, ridiculous commutes that people have. So, so far, it sort of seems on the surface like, yeah, I guess it kind of makes sense. <laughs> For working? Because 
I would say a lot of our society is like that already. I mean, from a shopping standpoint, you know, uh, as far as grocery stores, I mean, people that live out in the rural areas is a bit different. But does this mean working too within a 15 minute walk of well here's the thing yeah. now now we're getting to the 15 minute cities conspiracy what's that well you know jordan peterson's weighed in on this because what they're saying is the governments are going to make it so you're not even allowed to go outside of the 15 oh, minute like it's unbelievable up. well and listen yeah. one of our very long time <clears throat> great listeners alan matheson Right. brought this up he says please do a little bit of research on the 15 minute cities and how they work freddie's trip to freddie's trips to the tin palace will be limited how he <laughs> how he coming out this way to milton from etobicoke will be limited and again you know it's it's a concept that's been around for a while um and here's the story from uh, ctv news how 15 minute cities turn into an international conspiracy theory <laughs> It must be what weird to live in that world, right? You know what I mean? The concept, I understand it. But to to leap into a conspiracy theory that you wouldn't be able... What? You're only allowed so many visits a year to a different jurisdiction or something? That's what they're saying. Well, I'd love to see, you know, all the merchants in cottage country, how they they want the money. They want the visits. You know what I mean? And I think that would apply to any place that offers maybe something unique. You need people from outside your area to come and of course you. you. The, the whole concept was pretty simple. As it says here in the article, it, the aim was to make cities more livable and connected with less private car use, meaning, you know, cleaner air, greener streets, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the concept is everything you need should be within a roughly a 15 minute walk or cycle from your home, from healthcare and education to grocery stores and green spaces. It doesn't mean there's going to be checkpoints at, no. you know, um, at in Arendale. But guys, how does that not apply to the GTA right now anyway? Any community you live in, like, really, is 15-minute walk, you're going to hit a grocery store, beers, like, you know, like, really. And that's what I said. Listen, ever since yeah. I moved from Moose Jaw, everywhere yeah. I've lived, and I've lived in some big cities, New, uh, New York, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and Los Angeles, Montreal, Toronto, you know, I don't, I used, to, I used to try to explain that to my friends in, in Moose Jaw, mm-hmm. I'd say, I don't drive an hour to get groceries, it's across the street. Yeah, the, the dry no. cleaners are two blocks from me. Right. But the, conspira- just- but the conspiracy part of this is just ridiculous. There's a guy in the UK who was getting death threats from people. Jordan Peterson, as smart as he is, he can be an idiot. They're not, the government's not going to crack down and make it so that you can't go to the cottage but two times a year. So what is the point of that? That's a whole, I, I'm getting into a whole other conversation. Like, what's Jordan Peterson up to? Because you, as you say, he's a very smart man. To throw that out there, is that, like, I don't, it's just so nonsensical and ridiculous. But a smart man throws that out there what, to scare people? I, like uh, Because he, maybe he believes it. I mean, there's a story, uh, there's a story, of, Dan, this is from Edmonton, there's a story on globalnews.ca if you want to check it out. Apparently, some, again, in Alberta, where there's, you know, where they believe anything out there. Um, but in Alberta, there's, again, quite the conspiracy that, uh, you know, that this is what they're going to do. 
Uh, Edmonton mayor was uh, peddling his city's proposal to, to create 15-minute districts by widening sidewalks or multi-use trails that encourage walking, you know, sustainable infrastructure, all the things you think would would be good for people. <laughs> then all of a sudden, somebody in Edmonton is like, oh, no, they're, they're going to mm-hmm. keep us out of neighborhoods. <laughs> Here's, yeah, what, here's, what Jordan, here's what Jordan Peterson tweeted. The idea that neighborhoods should be walkable is lovely. The idea that idiot, tyrannical bureaucrats can decide, can decide by fiat where you're allowed to drive is perhaps the worst imaginable perversion of that idea. And make no mistake, it's part of a well-documented plan. The fuck? <laughs> oh How, where? Yeah. And where are these meetings? Where are these plans being? And whenever I hear a... It's all hashtag the great plan? reset. It's all just so dumb. So where's today's meeting where they're deciding that we're not going to be able to visit Mississauga or Burlington in five or ten years or whatever? And here's this other idiot, Brett Wilson. The Edmonton-based eco-alarmists have gone off the deep end. Nuts, crazy, irrational, bizarre proposal. Mm-hmm. What a proposal to make. Anyway, I, you know, I have no more energy for this. Well, same here, you know, and more and more, I think this way, when I look around the world, you know, the world's becoming smaller and smaller all the time through population, through technology. The whole idea of borders anywhere on Earth. Just think about it. We're all human beings on this little ball. And now we have all these really all these borders and territories and everything. The more you think about it, the more it's like. The world, belo- uh, you know, and I'm sounding like a bit of a flake here, but the more you think about it, the more the world belongs to everybody. So whenever I hear, you know, like in the States with the tightening of the borders and everything, and I'm thinking, wow, we're human beings and this little ball belongs to all of us. We got to figure this out. And I think going forward, it's going to be less of that and more of I sharing it. Yeah. What's that, Dan? More of what? No, it's going to be sharing more. it. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope so. That's the Star mm-hmm. Trek vision. But, you know, like it's you're right. It's been the the we're becoming more separate in a lot of ways in our societies right now. There's that movement of foot. Hopefully that that changes. But, you know, like we're we're isolating ourselves from each other, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. But because we're like you said about the ball. I mean, there was a report I just uh, saw today that they the uh they were, we're destined to pass 1.5 degrees uh, global, global warming in uh, five years from now. That, that it's, it's underestimated how quickly that's going to be happening. So five years from now, we're going to be at one point. The, the, the temperature of the planet is going to be 1.5 degrees warmer. And that's the big uh, threshold that everybody keeps talking about. We're doomed. Well, here are the, the very last thing on the Edmonton District Planning website. Mm-hmm. And all, all Jordan Peterson has to do is read this. It's not about restricting movement, they clearly state. You know, it's about changing the way Edmonton plans and supports development and growth and moves us closer to a vision for a more connected, prosperous, healthy, and climate-resilient city. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That doesn't seem so bad. But how they take that to, oh, this is the most terrible thing. Anyway. You know, and, Howard, a lot of it's happening naturally. What, you know, just north of the X there. What's that community called now? I, f- I forget. Parkdale. Uh, yeah, or where all those new condos are. And, oh, Liberty Village. Uh, Liberty Village. Yes. 
I mean, those things are happening on their own. You live in Liberty Village. You don't have to go far for anything. No. Have you seen around Square One in Mississauga? That's a whole little city unto itself. Exactly. You could, you could literally live in a... If you had a job around there, you could literally live in that com- community and want for nothing. Where, like, Dan, where Danny lives, your son... Uh, yeah. Just on the edge of, uh, you know, sort of Spadina and uh, we'll call it front. Mm-hmm. You, you you don't have to have like you don't have to have a car. I mean, you, you know, you want to go. Like, he does. But you could literally walk everywhere you need to walk. And within a four or five block radius, you know, everything is there. The, that was my point. It's always yeah. been that way. Yeah. And, like, and, it, and it happens organically. There's a place, uh, a situation, uh, uh, Mount Pleasant uh, go train stop here in Brampton. You know, people work in the city, but you should see the community that is now developed around that go stop for people uh, traveling into the city to work. I mean, everything you need is right there. It's it just happens. Here's this thing. Protest against 15 minute cities. Edmonton wants to start something called blah, blah, blah. Limiting your movements between districts, as they called it. You'll spend 90 percent of your life in this 15 minute area as they are monitoring your carbon footprint, a.k.a. your actual footprint. These fucking people all need They're to crazy. get some. They need to yeah. start taking Spanish because that'll take you need a hobby. <laughs> start doing something. Like, they actually think that, that they're going to monitor your carbon footprint. Yeah, I know. I, you know, drive you crazy when you think about it. It's just a modeling idea for planners to move away from some of the suburban sprawl that Edmonton and Calgary is very much part of that. Right. right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's areas of Toronto that are like that, too. When they planned the community, they didn't plan for the uh, commercial infrastructure to be that close because everybody had a car. So, you know, everybody can drive and everybody can get to it, and that's how it was planned with big parking lots and, and all the rest of that, rather than being able to walk from your house to, you know, it's like the convenience store, but glorified. Yeah. You know, more, more of that. And, and Fred's not wrong. I mean, yeah, stuff like that happens, happens organically. Organically, because you know, I, I know I, I live in a neighborhood where I could easily walk to everything mm-hmm. I would need. But it doesn't. What would mostly surprised me about this story was just how quickly people, including some smart people, Brett Wilson, the guy from Dragonstan, and Jordan Peterson, just how they jump on the most negative aspects of it. We're 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 never. They're never going to restrict it so that your carbon footprint is monitored. This this is not. It's not some science fiction movie. That's never going to happen. But Howard, how much of that is just business and keeping your name in the news? I mean, yeah, that's like, Jordan you know. Peterson's brand, and the other guy you mentioned. That, that that's their brand. Like I guess it's and it's sad when to you know, push your brand, you're actually spreading misinformation. But that, again, that's the world we live in now. Misinformation is a, it's a business for a lot of people. So there you go. That's our opening uh, thing. Uh, We appreciate you, Daniel, uh, as international movie star. Uh, Is this the weekend you move up to the lake permanently or are you going to go back and forth? What's this a big weekend? It's a long weekend. Yeah, I'm we sorry. Our, we haven't settled into a good summer trailer kind of experience up there, so I'm going to wait a little bit back and forth. So yeah. you're going to be to and fro. <laughs> well, what does that mean, summer experience? Like, don't you just move as soon as you can? Or are, are, or are there things you're not telling us about your union with a lovely Mism girlfriend? Uh, we're having a very good time together. No, are you really? Uh, are no, you really, Dan? <laughs> 
This is what hard hitting. This is your style of hard. I don't. I don't have nothing. I got nothing. Are you really? I barely I have nothing that's hard hitting anything right now. Um, Come on, Dan. Give us the down and dirty. <laughs> Come on, Dan. What's going on behind the scenes? Is everything everything looks uh, wonderful on the surface? But is Lisa giving you any pressure? Dan, you must move in. Mm-hmm. I must have you here full time. No, we're 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 just fine. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's groovy. Dan is woman, and it's it's fantastic. I'm sorry. Turn your mic up a little bit. I thought I'd never say that, but I, you're starting to get wow. lost. Dan, Dan is so non-confrontational. He must be the you know. He must be like you know. He just floats like a butterfly through. No, he does. He swans. Dan has swanned through life ever since I met him. Here's the weird thing about Dan. Confrontations around him. He just chooses to ignore it. (laughs) He's like, "Ah." (laughs) if I if I close my eyes, that's not actually happening. Danny, turn it up a little bit because uh, for some reason today I don't know what's happening. It feels muddied. It feels muddled today. Well, oh, maybe meanwhile, <laughs> just hang on one second. Remember that song, Minnie Pertner? No, Minnie Ripperton. Oh, right. Yes, Minnie <laughs> And uh, why is Minnie it not populating? Minnie Pertin, of course. Minnie Pertin. God damn it. <laughs> Minnie Pertin. Yeah. <laughs> that was my old neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a... Oh, that was... What a great moment. Fucking um, lost because Spotify just... Oh. I, we played that song, Dan and I, uh, when we were rock radio oh. DJs. Yeah. How many glasses did that break? Oh. High note that she. <laughs> oh, I know. Crazy. Hey, speaking of relationships, Howard, or are you on it? No, hold on a second. I got it. Here it is. Yeah, we got it. We got to listen. We can't miss that opportunity oh. for you to sing along with, with this. <laughs> it does take a while to get going. Hang on. Let me... This is the Dan Duran song. This should be all Dan Duran. It's his theme song. Exactly. Just floating. it gets to the la 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 let's just sing dan duran here we go dan duran makes our lives so beautiful oh it does wonderful okay i think here's the la 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 is this what lisa sings to you every morning no, we sing it to each other. Yeah, I bet you do. Well, your your voice, you're voice, you're just too low. Butterfly was just a coincidence. That that right there. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna isolate that as your intro. Now it's just gonna be. Well, man. All right, well, I better go. 
look for news while I flirt. He wants so out of here. Oh, no, I know. Oh. He's, he's feel, you know what? Here's the thing. <laughs> he's gonna, it's a good thing we don't so have an HR department because he would. there would be a formal complaint. <laughs> he's like, I, and then they, they, they make me feel trapped. They won't let me go. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Thank you again? <laughs> okay, well, listen, Dan, remember, you are an international movie star. And you don't need this shit, okay? You're Bram. You're Bram. You're Brampton. You're Brampton. I'll, I'll come back in a while. You're Peterborough royalty, and the host of Dan Duran's Peterborough. So yeah, but hey, Dan, will you fight for the Brampton side, please? Uh, yeah, I'm on Brampton side for sure. Oh, okay, right up. Thank okay, you. well, listen, mm-hmm. and you know, I listen. You don't even have to ask me. I'm. Your, I know. I'm your brother. Re- yes, I'm your brother. But Dan Duran, now that we know we have you mm-hmm. and your giant rocket launcher as our. <laughs> At our, That's right. At our Talk disposal. about a scud. Seriously. <laughs> I'll be they, back in a few groups of 15 minutes. Okay. When they uh, when they, when they they negotiate the ceasefire, they'll say, we, we have to, and Dan Duran must retire. <laughs> All right, Dan, thank you, sir. <clears throat> you beautiful man. He's just can't Dan wait. Dan would provide so the border wall. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, he'll be he, the flag bearer. Just to <laughs> yeah. raise the flag. <laughs> anyway, I was going to tell you, we were talking about relationships. I read this this morning. I got a guy to think, and they were talking about Dustin Johnson's injury, early season injury, his back injury, uh, that apparently limited his play on the live tour or his accomplishments. Or okay. His, uh, he admitted that he injured his back whilst having sex. With Paulina? With, with Paulina Gretzky, yeah. Come on. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He was going at it that hard with Paulina after all these years. Good for That's him. That's right. Good for him. And they, somebody had said to him, he said it was a family thing, and they said, what, lifting the kids? And he goes, well, no, lifting something a little bigger than a kid. Yeah. And, and then it went from Oh, there. he was yeah. lifting her up to maybe, you know, doing that thing you see only in the movies where they do right. it up against a wall. Yes. You ever try that? It's impossible. I don't have the uh, quad strength. Uh, that's interesting. No, the, uh, I know. He's, yeah. he's playing in the PGA uh, Championship starts today. Yeah. Uh, all right. Listen, we've got more to go. Uh, lots to uh, get through. But uh, first, we want to pause for a second and talk about these fine people. Uh, the retirement Sherpa. Yesterday, he was uh, he was by. You know, Tim is a uh, portfolio manager. Raymond James, a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund. Uh, yesterday, he was talking about having a plan. And, of course... It's good to have a, a professional, you know, an advisor uh, like Tim to help you with a plan because you got to know where you're going, basically, is what he said. And, you know, the bottom line for this is peace of mind, to have that plan contribute, know where you're going, know where you want to be. He's the Retirement Sherpa. He's Tim Niblett, retirementsherpa.ca. Hang on, texting a client. Just hang on. Okay, uh, retirement Sherpa. Yeah, I saw. You know, I saw him on the range yesterday at Ladies' Day, but I unfortunately, when I was going to go over to say hi, he was gone already. He's very, he's very popular, as you can imagine. He's very oh, yeah. popular. I can see that. Yep. Uh, uh, for some reason, I don't have this in front of me. Why is that? Oh, here we go. I want to talk about our newest sponsor. Uh, well. Palma Pasta is not our newest sponsor. They are an old sponsor that's come back. Actually, our newest sponsor is Arcadec Outdoor Living. Had a great talk with uh, Craig Keats the other day. 
You know, the idea about planning a backyard project, when is the right time to call? Well, here's the thing. The right time to call Architect is right now at 647-775-9222 or go to architect.com. And the reason is, you know, you know, there's lots of summer left, even though it doesn't feel like summer today. The earlier, the better. They build a lot of backyard uh, things, and they see all the trends in design, and they can help you. I mean, even just a, it's a free consultation. They're always there, able to help clients understand the options and the possibilities, and maybe that's the conversation you want to have. If you're a Humble and Fred listener, why not have that conversation? Show your support. Generally, the, biggest, the bigger the project, says Architect, or the more complex the project, obviously the longer the ideal lead time. And as they've stated, Craig said, we still have plenty of time to design and build projects for this summer. And as I've mentioned many times now, they do it all. They take care of it. They, they are handling the job site. They're managing the project. They've got guarantees. They do everything from permits to design. And we'd love for you to give them a call, even if you're just thinking about it. Have a conversation with them. 647-775-9222. Archideck.com. Your son, uh, Daniel, who uh, we brought up uh, as far as where he lives, got a cool joint, too. I've been there. That's a cool apartment he lives in. And now he's on his own there, him and Dougie. I uh, Well, two things, quickly. Um, I want to talk about Vice. Danny's done a lot of work for Vice over the years. Right. But just before I get to that, I played golf with a guy yesterday. He's a pretty big fan of our show. Good guy, Doug Brophy. Just joined my, my, my golf course. And a very good player. And... Uh, and uh, I don't know why, maybe because we were talking about your grand doggy yesterday, but every time he'd hit a good shot, I'd go, good one, Dougie. And then I would think of your dog, Dougie, and it, gave, mm-hmm. it made me smile. <laughs> Dougie. It's a great, you know what? Dog names like that. I love them. Dougie. Right. Clifford. Stan. I sent you a video of Dougie yesterday. And I you saw responded. that. How uh, relaxed is he? <laughs> well, you got to describe it. Like he's fully, he's fully on his back, on the couch, yeah, fully on his back, his head tilted and snoring loud. And he just that dog. Well, he's sort of like me in that way that he can go from zero to uh, he can go from wide awake to dead asleep like in literally seconds. It's amazing. And I said, I said, listen, I, hopefully I get to see you guys this summer up north because I, I have not seen him yet. I've not actually ever been in the presence of Dougie. And you know I'm going to love that dog. Oh, I know. He's so, a uh, character. Yeah, I forgot you sent me the video. Dougie. Yeah, so all day long yesterday. Good shot, Dougie. Um, <laughs> Vice, uh, I just saw this story a couple days ago, and I was going to send it to Danny. Is it interesting? Interesting, is it? In 2017, Vice had a market value of $5.7 billion. It's huge. And they are going bankrupt now. They're considered to be worth only $226 million. I mean, it's a lot of money, but they're going bankrupt. It ain't uh, ain't 5.7. Yeah, why? I guess uh, they had a couple of big deals with, I had, don't have the article in front of me, but I remember it was a couple of big deals, one with Disney, one with another company like Apple Size or something that fell through. 
and because they their whole thing was producing sort and i like vice i i, I like their stuff mm-hmm. and i like they started off uh, online as an online uh, a news sort of site cool news site and i still go there the odd time but i guess those deals uh didn't go through and they didn't get the distribution for all the video they were producing and so now it's uh, bankrupt yeah, they had uh, didn't they? I believe they had a Toronto office with some studios and stuff, but I think that's long gone. Wasn't Again, what, what was Danny doing for him? Documentaries? Yeah, I think he was just doing freelance work with them. I think he had an opportunity to join it full time, but the freelance thing for him is a better route. Um, so I, yeah, he did work for them, and I remember when he did do work for them at the time. Like Vice had a very very cool reputation within. You know, that millennials like that was sort of their go to for news and the way they spun it. And, you know, it was directed at them and they did a great job. And I remember when he was doing stuff for Vice often, that would be the comment. Oh, lucky you, man. That must be cool working at Vice. And uh, I thought he was going all all those trips. Some of them may have been Howard. I, I, I. Through or with or for Vice. I remember he went to like Israel. He was in like mm-hmm. South Africa. I thought those were Vice trips. They probably were. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, there's that. Um, we do have a couple emails we wanted to get to. Tomorrow, I, I made a mistake yesterday at the end of the show. Oh, I know. I make so many mistakes. Um, but I mentioned that we were going to do emails today, but I was, I was wrong. So tomorrow's a full-on Friday email show. We got a lot, a lot to get through. But do you want to get to a couple of those now that will help in, 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 encourage, I was going to say engender, encourage some uh, discussion? Right. All right. Do you yeah. want me to go to filler show? Yeah, hang on a second here. Uh, you do filler show and I'll do the Stafford one. Hold on. And one just came in. Oh, but the uh, pen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do that one too. And we can we, we can Hi we guys. can we can do an extra. There's no Hi rules. Guys. And I'm happy to say emails today brought to you by Palma Pasta. I'll tell you more about Palma Pasta in a second or two, but you know what you should know is that they're amazing and you can go to palmapasta.com to find out more. Uh Dave Ryan uh subject matter Wednesday's filler show, he says. Hi guys, just thought uh uh, just a thought regarding airline pilot pay. Mm-hmm. I got my commercial driver's license about two years ago, and I've averaged almost twice the salary as you reported for entry-level pilots. I'm only in charge of a large vehicle on the road with various freight. I find it sad that airline pilots, who are responsible for the lives of hundreds of people and a vehicle worth millions, does not get paid a better wage. Your loyal listener Dave Ryan. And then you sent me something um, from our friend. Lori Love. Our friend Lori Love, yeah. Yeah. Let let me just do something here. And uh, why don't you start? Because the the Lori Love story um, talks about what they actually make. And I I may have been a bit under, but to be fair, not a whole lot for the entry-level guys. No, generally what you said. I think that it was Brian Lilly of the Sun did a you know he looked into you know the wages of this these WestJet pilots in particular and the scale I think uh, around sixty two thousand upwards of three hundred thousand that's sort of the ballpark that you were in yes. you said entry level you know they appear to be very underpaid if you hang in there long enough yes 
it becomes a nice uh, living. But uh, I think it's the low end that surprises people. Yeah, I mean, I, I we were talking yesterday. I thought the low end was, you know, and and this was just WestJet was sort of in the th- late thirties, early forties, a thousands mm-hmm. a year. The regional, like, there's a lot more regional airlines in the states than there are here. I know we have a couple. Right. WestJet has that low cost one. I can't remember if it's called a Whoop or something Swooper. But some of those regional carriers in the states, those people aren't making very much money at all. And I'm talking about the captains. So and because they're inexperienced pilots and that's what they want, it's cheap. They're trying to make the cost of it you know, cheaper. But I guess the idea in this Lily article is that, oh, pilots are making 300000 Why are they going on strike? Yeah. And, you know, written by a guy who's usually beaten the drum for, uh, you know, capitalism and free markets. And it's just... Uh, to me, from him, an interesting spin. But, I, but you know, that's, uh, that's what it is. And, you know, it's hard to put your, yourself in the position. It's like when the teachers go on strike or, you know, government workers go on strike. You know, it's so easy to stand back and go, oh, they should be happy with what they got. But sure. You got to walk in somebody else's shoes to fully appreciate their position in, they're in and, and why. I, um, Same with the pilots. Like, yeah, I would I'm really, you know, Dave uh, described it, you know, large, you know, responsible for hundreds of lives driving multi driving multi-million dollar vehicles. Yeah, you would think they'd be making a few hundred thousand a year. Well, exactly. And that's what yeah. Brian Lilly does. I mean, again, he mm-hmm. cherry picked. I looked at a couple different articles, and again, everyone cherry. I went on this Reddit today, and a lot of people cherry pick the highest wages. I was wrong too about another thing. I thought Cathay or Cathay, Cathay Pacific pilots were the highest paid. It's actually Qatar Airlines, but they're similar. Their average pilots are making a couple hundred, gusting to upwards of three uh, and four and five and six hundred thousand. But you know, if if a starting pay for a brand new first officer. Is sixty two thousand dollars? That guy has spent. That guy has to have at least fifteen hundred to two thousand hours of flying, mostly at his own cost. A lot of that, yeah, not much. I shouldn't say that. A lot of that was his cost, mm-hmm. and making sixty two grand for flying you a human being from you know Regina to Calgary, mm. you'd think people would be fine with that. It's not the same as being a teacher. Because that's what Brian Lilly does. You know, a teacher, the average Canadian makes this much money. Well, okay, but the average Canadian isn't responsible for making sure you don't die right. on the way to see Granny. Right. It's an exceptionally skilled profession. And in our system, you are paid for your skill often. Correct? Yeah. And again, I, but thanks to Lori. We appreciate the article. And uh, thanks to who was that email from? Dave Ryan. Dave's a great guy. Why don't you oh, uh, continue? Super guy. Super guy. Uh, why don't you continue with the uh, next one, which is the stain? Mark Masakati. Masakata. Hey, boys. Uh, use hairspray on pen stains. It really works. Hundy P. Mark from Kitchener. Last uh, <laughs> BM firm. Heart rate 66. Love the show. Stay well, gentlemen. <laughs> so I'm going to try that 
Because I, I don't think I have any oxy. What did you, oxycodone? No, we're not talking about friend and I doing oxy. What was it? Oxy, oxy. It's this powder stuff you get at a co- we get at a Costco. It's just called oxy. Okay, and it brings out the whites. Ooh, does it? Yes, and it also removes stains. Oh, Spencer's got to have some hairspray here. I'll try that. Uh, this is Hi a. Uh, Hi and by the way, tomorrow's show. There's quite a few stabbered emails, but this one I like. This is from Paula Seidenkrantz of Hamilton. Says, hi, guys. I liked Mike Stafford's talk show back around 2000. His subject matter was always something interesting. Hang on. This particular day was the subject. He just goes on to describe a situation where she really enjoyed his. The point of this email is that she really enjoyed his work. And I wanted to point out the fact that so did we. Like, through, through any of this discussion we've had about Mike and his, his, how much he despises us, we, I wanted to make the point that he was a very, we think, both of us think he's a very fine broadcaster, one of the best. Mm-hmm. Really, one of the best guys that's been, you know, I've ever worked with. Uh, and Paula thought so. And she talks about this thing. She goes, oh, I almost dropped off the road because I was laughing so hard. Mike is also very funny. Yes. She signs it. She says, I honestly don't even think it was a bit. So I wrote back and I said, my favorite Stafford moment is when he wished I would die in a dumpster fire. <laughs> Thankfully, his wish was not granted. Also, I don't think it was a bit. You know, I was just having a little fun. She wrote back, that was such an awful thing for him to say. Much like an ex-boyfriend of mine who told me that he wished I would get hit by a gravel truck. What do you what? think? <laughs> this is, which is terrible. And why I'm laughing is because she says, what do you think is worse? And I thought, you know what, Paula? Mm. That's a great question. Dying in a dumpster fire versus getting run over by a gravel truck. Just me. I think dumpster fire is worse. Because Easy. it takes a long time. You're burning inside mm-hmm. of a dumpster fire. You can't get out. Someone's locked the top of the dumpster. Not only are you right. burning and, and in agony, but psychologically. Gravel truck, it's Instant. a second. Yeah, definitely. I'd rather die by gravel truck than uh, dumpster fire. So, but I think it's great that Paula Seidenkrantz uh, has reminded, uh, we, to give us the opportunity to remind everyone that Freddie and I have nothing but respect for Stafford's skill as a broadcaster, no, no. you know. Brilliant. Brilliant you broadcaster. Know, and I think she was referring to, um, uh, there was a subject matter on Mojo. And when I read that email, I immediately thought of something. The early stages of, of Mojo, Mike did an afternoon show once about women you know, um, being trapped. No, no, about uh, women shaving down below. Oh, okay. This was the early 2000s. And right. The, and the show was, you know, guys calling in, do you prefer shaved or not shaved? Right. But it was done in a very clever way where you knew what they were talking about without really saying it. You know what I mean? One of those. And I think it went on for an hour or so, and I thought, you know what? I, I'm really digging this radio station because basically this is sort of what it's all about and the way it's being it's being handled with humor and class and fun as opposed to like down and dirty. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember, oh, yeah. yeah, it was a very, very uh, funny segment in the early stages of Mojo that, uh, again, what we were going to be all about. 
So this particular talk show was uh, a subject that was a tr- describe a situation when you have been trapped. A woman called in mm. uh, and uh, she her dilemma was trapped in a bathroom cubicle because of a malfunctioning lock. But when she got on the air with Mike, she described her situation as being on a first date and excusing herself to go to the bathroom. And that's how she became trapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, don't think for a second that we don't think Stafford had some you know great chops and he was, you know, paid very well because he was exceptionally good at that gig. Yeah, I don't know why he picked on you. Oh, well, you know, there was actually an incident with me when I wrote a blog posting that apparently he took uh, exception to. And that's where I lost him. I don't know how. Well, I I could have lost him for any number of reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking knows. You read me. You read to me an email or a text or whatever that he'd written you. Yeah. That uh, is in line with being, you know, hoping I die in a dumpster fire. Right. I'm not sure if you want to share it with everyone, but if him, come on, this is authentic. Real talk. Um, you don't have to. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, well, it was, it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. That. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote, uh, nah, forget it. Yeah, you know what, don't. It hurts, no. It's too, it hurts too much. Yeah. But anyway, that's life. Ups and downs, ins and outs. Laughter and uh, tears. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll uh, continue with uh, more emails tomorrow. Uh, let me just uh, get my uh, Palma Pasta music. And I'll tell you a little bit about our uh, email sponsor. If you haven't taken advantage of Palma Pasta, it's now time to. If you have before, go and visit Palma's Kitchen again. It's expanding ever so, and uh, the food is just beyond. It's 38 years this company has delivered quality Italian food from fresh pasta to sauces and prepared take-home entrees. Just heat and eat. I told you I'm going to have uh, mm. going to have a nice lasagna this weekend, which I have so, in my. <laughs> it just tastes so homemade too. From the- it does. And, and, you know, the pro- my only problem when I go to Palma's Kitchen is I love salty meat so much that I just take a whack of it. They've got every kind. And I'm like, I, I know a, lo- a little bit is great, but I, the amount of it I eat is ridiculous. Four locations, one in Oakville, three in Mississauga. And the signature store, as you know, is Palma's Kitchen. And uh, they do catering. Uh, for your home or corporate events, large or small, they deliver in the GTA. And if you can't make it out to uh, Palma, just go ahead and order online. PalmaPasta.com. Italian tradition, simply delicious. Fantastic. The Chambers of Commerce Group Insurance Plan, Canada's number one group benefits plan for small business. It's a, uh, the great way, it's a great way to go. It, it really is for a small business. Uh, very affordable. Go to chamberplan.ca today. Find out all about it. There's a badge there. Click on it. It says get a free quote. Put in the parameters of your uh, company. You get an idea of what it's going to cost. You'll be pleasantly surprised. And again, there's different levels in which you can buy in. Uh, prescription and dental often at the top of the list for uh, for most people as far as benefits go but there's travel and all sorts of therapies on and on and on very progressive they stay ahead of the curve even an hr component now uh, that small business can use you know if you find yourself in a pickle uh, with an employee it's the chambers of commerce group insurance plan chamberplan.ca 
Uh, I'm not sure what you wanted to talk about. I had a couple other things that involve money. You know, we love those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a million-dollar grand prize for the next winner of Canada's Got Talent. It's the biggest cash prize in Canadian TV history. Now, it still won't get you a house in uh, my neighborhood, but fine. Man, have you seen the, you know, you see the size of these little houses behind me? No. Oh, oh, it's yes, little tiny yes. ones, right? The, the little bungalows. Yeah. There, I want to. I, I was. Well, I'm going to talk about the money in a second. But I was walking stand the other day, and I thought of you and I talking about money the other about the real estate, about the size of these houses. I, they, they can't be more than a couple room, like their living room, kitchen, couple bedrooms, single story, as you said, bungalow. They got to be like one point three, one point four. Yeah, um, they refer to those as like wartime homes or something for whatever reason. They were built in just after the war, I think. Yeah, and it was to get servicemen into homes, and yeah. Well, I even the one the ones right there on um, the Queensway across from like the Pie Commission. You see those little houses there. Yeah. It's like the they got it. The main floor's got to be maybe six hundred square feet, maybe seven hundred. For you people live in the suburbs, mm-hmm. I can't. Let me describe the size of these houses. It's the size of your garage. If you live outside of the GTA or you live in Edmonton or wherever, the size of these houses is the size of a basically a two car garage, and they're way above one point something. Anyway, Canada's uh, I, I haven't I've never watched Canada's Got Talent. I know Howie Mandel's on it. I know mm-hmm. that internet superstar lady is on it, Lily Singh. Okay, and uh, but I was caught by the idea of a million dollar cash prize. Didn't they announce the winner of that the other day? Maybe. I, think it was, I don't know. It was a, yeah, it was a dance group, I believe. Super. Ultimately won it, which I found a bit surprising. Like, I don't mind watching dancing, but I remember the old days of America's Got Talent when Stern was on and that when dance groups would come on, it was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I like the singing and the, you know, the singing and the strumming. One of my favorite things on uh, the Ticket Talk is... Uh, I like when they'll do like a British Got Talent moment or America's Got Talent, right. Canada's Got, where it's like, and it's the three minute clips of somebody you don't think is going to be good, or they've got some awkward backstory, or they seem a bit, mm-hmm. they're shy, mm-hmm. and then they just belt out a song. Right. I like those well, things. You know what? They're just remember pleasant. that that woman who. Yeah, that woman. I, I don't want to say that she wasn't attractive, but her, her her voice didn't suit her image. I forget what her name was. Very How famous cute. years ago. Um, and she became, uh, she was like the, the archetype of that, for sure. Yes, yeah. And uh, Howie Mandel in particular, um, go back 20 years, could he have ever predicted that probably the most lucrative part of his career would end up being a show like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's been on America's Got Talent forever. And now, you know, and then the Canadian version. So to lure him up for that would have been a few bucks. Well, that's a weird question. Like, I, he's got to be making like I remember Stern talking about what he was getting paid. He's getting paid 20 million a year for yeah. America's Got Talent. So how he's in that category, he ain't getting paid 20 million to come to Canada. So he's doing it because it's the franchise or doesn't take he makes a couple million. It takes a, a few months of his time. Same with that Blake Shelton guy. Delise loves the voice. When it's on, I can't watch those shows anymore, to be honest with you. So jump the shark for me. But um, 
that Blake Shelton guy has just announced he's leaving The Voice after I don't know how many years and how difficult that must be because I think he's getting like $15, 16000000 million a year to sit there and judge those acts. To be able to walk away from that... <laughs> You got to explain it to me. I don't wow. understand. I mean, I've seen again. I've seen people on right. the ticket talk doing the same version of the voice. What is the premise of that? They turn around and then what happens? Well, what happens is they're all in these uh, seats that turn around. They have their back to the stage and the act comes out and starts singing. And then they decide whether to hit their buzzer and turn around. And if they do, that means they're interested in having them on their team. And then as the show develops, each of the stars gets a team and then they sort of play off against each other. And then eventually one of the stars teams is named the victor. In essence, that's what it's about. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's solid. The other show I don't understand is The Masked Singer. I've never seen an episode of any of these shows we're talking about. No, I've never seen that. But it's people that come out and sing in funny costumes. And then maybe you have to guess who they are or something. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. But interesting that you brought up walking away from money. Because I saw this. You know, this, is, I get, this is why I love TikTok. Three-minute clip of the Stern Show from about 10 years ago. He's interviewing Jerry Seinfeld and tells the story of Seinfeld walking away from an extra season of yeah. the show. Uh, Warren Littlefield, who was the head of NBC at the time, offered Jerry Seinfeld $110 million Mm -hmm. to come back for one more season of Seinfeld. And he explains to Stern why he didn't want to do it. To me, the explanation was fine and valid for him. But, you know, it, it, it basically comes down to integrity and didn't want the show to go out. It wanted to go out on a high as opposed to a sort of a wash down last mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. but i watched i've watched it twice and I, thought, I don't have that i don't have that integrity sorry well I, that, that's another situation where you have to be in that position you know he knew what was coming with syndication and everything he knew there's only so much money a man could spend it's so he could afford to take the I don't want to say integrity route, but yeah, I mean, already, he was already worth a couple hundreds of millions, but still a hundred. He took the artsy fartsy route, you know, he actually said, cause, cause Jerry, uh, Larry, uh, David left, mm-hmm. I think, but he did the last two seasons, Jerry on his own and Seinfeld, you know, was wish he said, listen, I had no problem. So Larry wanted to do his own show. I respect that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as Howard asked him, if Larry had stayed, would you do another season? He said, perhaps, you know, maybe. Because it was a lot of work for him. He was the showrunner, executive producer, one of the writers, and the star. And they were doing 24 episodes a season in the old days, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, now shows get away, uh, you know, streaming shows are doing eight seasons or eight episodes, 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Which is good strategy given the number of stuff oh, yeah. available, uh, you know, the amount of stuff available. But curb your enthusiasm, you know, and I, I've asked a few people, what do you think is better, Seinfeld or curb your enthusiasm? And, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure there's an answer for that. They're both excellent. But I'll tell you, I, I just, some of these curb your enthusiasm, it gets me thinking like I never did in a, a Seinfeld show, you know? 
I think it's hard. To, it. Yeah, I think it's hard to say because in yeah. Seinfeld, you only had <clears throat> one is scripted, one is somewhat mm-hmm. scripted and improvised. But right. but where what Curb does that Seinfeld you know did a little bit of is it ups the awkwardness. The way yes. I, the way I've been describing it is you know Curb your enthusiasm is Seinfeld if it was about George. Yeah. Yeah. If the yeah. show if the show was basically George centric, which Curb is, he's mm-hmm. that character is George to the to the max. It's just relentless that show. Yeah. Every moment of every scene there's just something where <laughs> just again you feel awkward for the guy or you think I've been in that position or it's almost too much to take at times. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. I think Seinfeld for its time was in some ways funnier because sometimes yeah. curb isn't it's not so much that it's funny you're just like almost bristling you're like jesus mm-hmm. um and before everyone comes back dan's coming back with the news and boone will be up uh, toronto mike will be up in a second but you uh mentioned uh, an entertainment uh offering that you watched uh, recently yeah i watched uh yesterday air uh you know about um Nike and Michael Jordan signing him to the first contract, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Jason Bateman and just what a, it was just a great movie. And as I've said to you a couple of times, those, those young fellas, they know how to make a movie. They just do. It's just, again, you talk about every scene, every moment. That was that movie. There Mm -hmm. was every, seriously, every moment, every scene was compelling. And again, you loosely know the story. You know, when you're our age in particular, you know, because you can reach back and all of a sudden people are wearing these Air Air Jordan. What's that all about? And then you see the shoe and then everybody's wearing it and on and on and on. Uh, It was just uh, a great movie. A great movie. Uh, Like a do you call that a biography on some level? Um, No, you mean like a biopic? Not really, because it's not really about a single person. It's about it's about this. It's about Nike who was mm-hmm. like the number three running shoe back in 19, early 80s, whenever that w- was happening. Uh, Converse was w- number one. Adidas was number two. Uh, Nike yeah. sort of had a few basketball players. And it was the idea that, that this one of the characters, Matt Damon's character, had the idea that rather than try and sign three sort of mediocre players for a, a hundred thousand or whatever each, because their budget was like two fifty in the day, they were going to try and sign one player. No one had ever done that, and it's the it's the wooing of Michael Jordan. You know that story in itself. I think his name was Sonny Vaccaro. His name, yes, that that character that Matt Damon played. I mean, there's a whole story there. Google him. Like, that's fascinating, that story. Um, but uh, when I was a kid in high school, Adidas were the big thing. Absolutely, Nike, they were. If it was around, I wasn't aware of it. But back in the 70s, everybody wanted Adidas. You remember Adidas shorts, the little shorts. But oh, yeah. footwear, you had to have Adidas. Yeah. And Converse was some somewhere over there. And then uh, and Nike was around, but you didn't notice. And the, the Michael Jordan thing obviously changed everything. I thought Ben Affleck as Phil Knight, the guy that started Nike. And, and it was a big company, but it wasn't a big basketball company. Nike, no. around that time, the early 80s, Nike was a runner's company. It, was, it made its money because people who were runners, distance runners, marathon people, people that ran as a hobby, they were a Nike. 
And even though and, we know, all, I was going to say, mm-hmm. even though we all knew mm-hmm. the story, is you literally walk in knowing that this is going that this guy turns out to be Michael Jordan. It was still fascinating how they told the story. And the weird thing was, there was tension and drama built. Wondering if he was going to sign, even though, you know, he signed with Nike just the way it was set up. I thought that's when when you say they did a good movie they made something that you already knew the outcome dramatic and compelling to watch. And Michael Jordan's mother, like, I guess it was her idea, like it had never been done. It was unprecedented in sport that the athlete would get a piece of every of every shoe, shoe. sold. Yeah, man. That and was she great. held out for that and she got it. And as I said, it changed the lives of so many athletes. Because what was the line? A shoe is nothing until somebody steps into it, or whatever that was. Yeah, and that was that, and that was it. I mean, those shoes would have been nothing, but you get Michael Jordan to step into them, and then all of a sudden they're marketable. Why wouldn't he? You know, get a piece of everyone sold, and it was he thought the deal was over when she asked for that, but to fill Knight some. Um, credit he said nah let's go for this no it's a great moment and again we're not we're not wrecking the movie for you because Mm -hmm. you know how it turns out but there's a great moment where it's literally like the second or third last scene and phil knight says something like yeah yeah no big deal like you know how much could that cost us and the year the year before jordan signed they sold something like i don't know three or four million dollars worth of those shoes the year after jordan signed the first year it was $162 million, and Michael Jordan has made $400 million a year annually because of that deal his mother signed. Yeah, and he's worth about $2 billion now. Yeah. Isn't that more than Tiger? So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, another thing that was said in that that brought back memories said in the movie, and I forget they were talking about basketball and where it's at, I think with the agent. At the time, I remember this back in the 80s. NBA playoffs were on tape delay. Mm. The league was struggling. So imagine that there was a playoff game played maybe at 7 o'clock at night, but they didn't run it until tape delay like at 11, 30, 12 o'clock. Wow. Same with it. People don't realize, too, in the 1970s, the, the NFL was really struggling, too. And it's just... So Michael Jordan... He gets a lot of credit for that turnaround for the league, you know, and it was so brilliant on the on the part of Nike and those in the in those brains to build that shoe around one guy and everybody wanted to be like him and mm-hmm. have those. And it just grew from there. Well, I moved to Los Angeles in uh, the mid 80s. And uh, at the time, the Laker sort of Hollywood kind of entertainment thing had just kind of sprung up. Same thing, early 80s, mid 80s, where I used to say, you know, you could get, I could, I went to the forum and saw the Kings play for, you could get a ticket same day anywhere, you sit anywhere you want. Before Gretzky came to town, hockey was nothing, mm-hmm. but basketball right. was the thing. And, and he helped that. But think about it, it was, it was uh, Jordan, Larry Bird, and uh, Patrick Ewing. No, the guy in LA. Them. The guy in LA, uh, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson. Kind right. of all within a mm-hmm. few years, all those guys, and it, and it brought some entertainment. Like I say, all that Hollywood connection brought brought a different vibe to the sport. But, you know, what, getting back to this guy, Sonny, that sort of saw mm-hmm. George Jordan as somebody that, that they should invest in, how do you know? Like, how did he know? How did, his, how did Michael Jordan's mother know that, that, that he was going to be the greatest of all time? Like, how do you just know? 
Like, what did he see? I love those scenes where the where Matt Damon's character is looking at those the footage and seeing what mm-hmm. what Jordan. This is watching him play like a, a university mm-hmm. game. I just love that stuff. Yeah, and again, they took a flyer on him. You know, it could have gone the other way. Who knows? And th- this was a success story. But that's my point, Fred. This one, yeah. It, it, mm-hmm. To them, it wasn't a flyer. To them, it wasn't yeah. like a long shot. It was right. what made it such a certain thing in their minds. Like, you know, when his mom said, listen, he's going to change this sport. Yeah. I mean, whether they, she had those or exact words, but, you know, they were being courted by Converse, Adidas, mm-hmm. and Nike was, it was just an afterthought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great story. It certainly is. And uh and again, whenever I see a movie like that, I sort of start reading and googling and then I had forgotten his dad was murdered. Yeah. In the early 90s, I believe, just a random robbery and shot and like in his car and how much his dad meant to him and and his mom's still involved in the empire at a, in Chicago. When I mean, you talk about all the athletes that benefited, think well. Mm-hmm. Ba- ba- I'll think about the uh, the basketball players that benefited from that unprecedented deal. But Tiger Absolutely. Woods, but Tiger Woods benefited from it as well, and I'll, because mm-hmm. Tiger Woods or Phil Knight recruited Tiger Woods' father and and Tiger by association long before you'd heard of him. Long, he, he, they saw mm-hmm. the same thing in this skinny, like Tiger Woods mm-hmm. in his early teens, 12, 13, 14, 15, was a skinny kid who generated ridiculous speed with a golf club. But Nike saw that. They went, okay, this is our Michael Jordan of golf. Again, never, yeah. had, never had been the kind of deal they signed with this unknown, mainly unknown athlete was also unprecedented. Yeah. And that part during the movie when she first asks for a cut of the action and he's like, well, this this is going to kill the deal. It just doesn't happen. Right. And then when he went to Phil Knight, the first thing he said, oh, man, we started giving him a piece of the shoe. Then they're going to want equity in the companies, (laughs) which isn't widespread now, but it has happened, you know, and there's the famous story of, I guess, geez. Even maybe before that, remember the the story about uh, Bobby Orr. Uh, he had been offered equity in was it the Boston Bruins or Chicago Blackhawks? And uh, Alan Eagleson never told him. Yeah, remember that story? Yeah. So, um, and there have been athletes offered equity in franchises, and again, I I I can't name them right now, but. Well, wasn't it, Jordan it, it offered did, equity? It did come from that. Jordan got equity in uh, one of the teams he played Washington, for. Washington Wizards. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Jack Nicholas uh, famously played, not famous to you, but famously mm-hmm. played McGregor Golf Clubs mm-hmm. through most of his career. And I'm sure there was some, you know, equity exchange in that because he became, I'm, from what I remember, I thought he became part owner of the company. Um, let me. Um, uh, but but I will mention this too yes, because as please. great as as great as Michael Jordan is and was, yes. and all he did for other athletes, there's a kid named Victor Wembayama, Wembayama, out of France, a basketball player, like seven foot four inches, but he plays like he's six three as far as agility goes. Some are calling him the best basketball prospect ever. And that includes Michael Jordan. 
And uh, the San, An- San Antonio Spurs won the lottery the other night, so they will be drafting Victor Wembayama. So look for him. Apparently, he's a phenom, and he's again, he's going to turn the sport upside down like Jordan did. Uh, it's hard to believe, but that's what they're saying. Six foot. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I got it here in, in centimeters, so I know that is seven four. Nineteen years old. Nineteen, yeah. And and I've just been reading about it since you told me this morning. Like, so he's a he's you know more, you know typically you know a guy at, who plays center but plays like a guard mm-hmm. who can handle the ball. That's what it's right. all about. A guy yeah. because the big man the big man doesn't usually handle the ball. No. But this big man can handle it and shoot, apparently. Yeah. So, I, again, that's exciting. Uh, you know, the buildup he's getting. I can't wait to see him in action. I, I've seen some some footage, but it's France. Not to take anything away from French basketball, yeah. but really, yeah. it's, not, it's not the NBA. Victor Wembanyama. Wembanyama. I like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, do, you want, do you have any idea? Because we, we, we love money. What uh, did they pay for, Victor Wembanyama? Well, I, yeah, they haven't had the draft yet. Oh, okay. All right. right, they just won the lottery. It's like the NHL. Chicago won the lottery to get, uh, you know, Connor Bedard, but they haven't had the actual draft yet. All right, we um, why don't we get mm-hmm. uh, why don't we do this before um, the boys come back here and uh, take okay. care of some uh, of the nice people that take care of us. Well, you know, when I uh, talk about Bodog and I give the odds, I, uh, you know, I, it's usually hockey because this is Canada. But let's look at basketball. They're down to the conference finals and the Boston Celtics, as we sit, are uh, still the favorite, even though they lost the first game to underdog Miami last night. But Boston still minus 225 to win. And... Uh, on the other side in the West, it's the Nuggets against the Lakers. The Nuggets favored at minus 250. The Lakers plus 200. So, as far as Bodog's concerned, we're going to be looking at a Boston-Denver final. But, as I say, Miami upset uh, Boston in game one last night. Uh, whether you're a sports better, a horse racing fan, a poker casino player, Bodog, your number one source of online gambling and entertainment from their industry leading odds, world class sports book and feature rich poker room to their fully loaded casino and race book. They've been providing Canadian players with an unparalleled gaming experience since 1994. Why look, Frederick, look who, who we have here. We have international newscaster and television flash shattering that note no one else can no one can make us feel the way that Dan Duran makes us feel how about that Dan Duran, Dan Duran. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna change my uh, my verb. You don't swan through life. You Dan Duran through life. Oh yeah. And that's to be admired, my friend. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. Oh, I love those birds, though. <clears throat> Mini Ripperton. I don't know. That's it's got to be like 1970 something. Because I remember you and I played. We would have played that at some radio station oh, over and over again. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was uh, the Chab, but uh, certainly somewhere. How would you, you know ever that? take that song seriously, though? 
Well, like, that was the seventies. Whenever I heard that song, it was like some kind of novelty. Like, yeah, it was a novelty song. But you had the luxury; but, you weren't a uh, renowned DJ like myself and Dan Duran. Yeah, we no, I know. This. But there's people that said, "Oh, that's my favorite song," and it's like, is it even serious? Or, like, what would I, you? So if you ran into somebody who said, "I really like that song," would you start mocking them? No, I would oh, just like, uh, wow, that's you know. Uh, Again, music subjective. Everybody mm-hmm. has their thing. It's just to me, it was like almost like. Really? Well, if you want so a no- a serious person or something. Yes. <laughs> if you want a novelty song, I'll give you one. No. Here's to a fella named Dan Duran, a hell of a guy with a hella big wang, the quintessential anchor man. Dan the Anchorman comes, his eyes for credentials, he has none, can't tell a headline from his bum, but his voice is nice and low. Dan Duran, the Anchorman's here, he's prone to falling off his chair, but he's got a big wang, so he don't care, and his voice is nice and low. My voice is nice and low. And now, international movie star, star of Superman, Batman, Iron Man... Howie Mandela <laughs> and wow. uh, Peterborough's favorite son, host of My Peterborough. Here's uh-huh. <laughs> here's here's Dan Duran. How much Big Brother is too much? Top French courts backed AI-powered surveillance cameras for the Paris Olympics. So I guess what's happened is that there's some AI-powered surveillance cameras that they wanted to uh, put in for. You know, large-scale, real-time systems supported by algorithms to to spot suspicious behavior, you know, unsupervised luggage, crowd movements like stampedes to uh, make the Olympics a lot safer. But there's a lot of privacy advocates that are saying this is uh, one step too far. These... uh, the court says the system aims to prevent public order offenses, which aligns with their constitution. The cameras will only be deployed during sports, recreational or cultural events, which there uh, is a high risk of becoming uh, under an influence of a terror attack or something in you know, a bomb or something like that and will not include facial recognition and uh, any other biometric surveillance that's needed to monitor the events that, that would include uh, data collected and then uh, uh, cross-reference with with uh, with facial recognition or any of that stuff. So it's not it, it's not a deep dive into it is what they're saying. What the question is, though, is what in our society for you guys to think about is how much surveillance is too much. I mean, with I mean, we all have ring doorbells and there's, uh, you know, public cameras around. But there's with AI on the go, it would be possible soon for facial recognition technology be to tied into AI. And then cross right. And so if you break any law or any kind of small movement could be eventually tracked by AI. And then you could get a summons in the mail for, you know, whatever it is. You did a, you know, you mean like if you threw like you were in the. Oh, OK. Let's say let's say hypothetically you were dumping your garbage illegally in, I don't know, a well-known Chinese food buffet dumpster. <laughs> dumpster. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if you were, again, hypothetically, you were yeah. under cover of night taking some of your recycling and garbage in the overflow to uh, a place, let's say, um, what is it? Landerin, Landerin Buffet, <laughs> and uh, using their dumpsters. That might one day be seen by AI. Why, well, who did that? Was that you? 
No, I'm saying of a person hypothetically. No, I'm, I, 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 I've done that before. Not in a long time, but... I don't want to say, Fred, but let's say a person who lived in a neighborhood close to a Landerin. Right. uh, I get it. Sometimes in between uh, garbage and recycling, I'm a person. (laughs) Pardon me, Dan. Is that a clean street? Mm. Listen, when you were living here, I remember I said a couple times, I said, listen, all these boxes, don't worry about them. I've got a guy. It turns out the guy was me. (laughs) Um, A couple of thoughts on that. Uh, You you know, a lot of uh, conspiracy theorists and... uh, hysterical people don't like to hear this but you know i still sort of subscribe to if i have nothing to hide what am i worried about exactly may not be the best thing what gets me too often about these conspiracy people and they're so concerned about that yet on the other side they you know say in the united states they're big on the second amendment and being able to own a gun so the reason a lot of these security things take place is because of violence and often gun violence and so they can you have it both ways? So if we're going to be free and easy with firearms, so then, yeah, we might need some more surveillance to be on top of who, what, why, where, when. I don't know. Let's say a person just uh, hypothetically yeah. was in a neighborhood and uh, went into uh, one of those mm. went into one of those body rub places that are so popular in the Tovico area. Um I thought you were going to say you went to the lander in and you lifted the garbage <laughs> thing and said, oh, some chicken balls. Mm, thank you. What <laughs> <laughs> if a person hypothetically ate some, ate some dumpster chicken? <laughs> ate some dumpster. Wrong with that egg roll? Dumpster foo young. If you got some dumpster foo young. Listen, man, I haven't been in the Mandarin for a long time other than occasionally to dump my garbage. Anyway, Dan, do you have a second story, you uh, international uh, television uh, Well, I just thought I have to uh, a small thing out there, so you go ahead and say whatever you can. And now with a small Mm -hmm. thing, the only small thing Dan can throw out. Right. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) Thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that. uh, Hey, hey, dude, we potentially have a sponsor coming on in about five minutes, so don't rush, but let's get... Yeah, no, it's a real quick one. It's just I thought you should know that uh, there's an uh, 1,100-year-old Hebrew Bible that's sold for $38 million. You could have had it. Instead, it's going to Israel and being on display, but it's uh, it's a famous old Bible that... uh, One of the oldest. But it's still, you know, when you're... We were talking about this before about, you know, like this document... Being one of the oldest is 1,100 years old, which puts it, what, eight, 900,000 years after Jesus Christ? 900, Rome. not 900,000. <laughs> Did I say 900,000? You said 900,000 years. To 1,000. Oh, 900 to 1,000, yes, that's right. Yeah. After, uh, after Jesus, Jesus right. Yeah, and was wandering the earth. So, you know, how accurate could the Bible be at that point? Because, you know, they weren't really, really big on accuracy in those days but, but i'm to. curious then it's it's a it's a it's the jewish is it the the jewish bible the one that came out before your little sequel so maybe that's what it is it's the oldest version it's 1100 year old version of uh the hebrew bible not the, the one hebrew that was written bible. not the one that was written you know willy-nilly after your alleged savior roamed the earth no, well, a Hebrew Bible would that would be a Bible, wouldn't it? That's a Christian. Uh, no, it would, it, it would well, I'm, it, if it was going, it might be the Bible. It might be the original, the OG. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> um, can I ask you guys a question? Right sure. upstairs in a drawer, mm. I have like a um, a uh, a prayer book. Mm. I don't think it's really a a Bible, but it's a, a book of prayers, and it's old. 
okay, it's old and tattered. And when you open it up, it's signed to my grandfather, Joe Patterson, um, dated 1918 uh, to Joe and from the parish or whatever. And wow. then uh, in 1980, what can I get for that? <laughs> well, ask you Dan. Think, he apparently is the. You think there's a few bucks in that for me? Yeah, sure. I got uh, twenty, thirty bucks, maybe. I have a welcome to the Queensway pamphlet that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's only a couple days old. I'm about to throw it in recycling. They're both written with the same. Listen, uh, Dan Duran. Thank you for your service to this program today. As always, uh, you went above and beyond, and uh, thank you. It's always great having a star of Dan Duran's Peterborough with us. Yeah. And now the star, uh-huh, now the star of Toronto Mike, the eponymously named podcast, and uh, one of the greats and producer of this program, making his weekly visit. Visit. Hello, Michael. Hey guys, I can do this in under five minutes because I know we have a valued sponsor coming up very, very soon. So. A couple of like super quick hits is you keep mentioning uh, Minnie Ripperton, but you never mentioned her daughter. Oh, that's you right. Know. What about her? Her daughter is uh, Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph is Minnie Ripperton's daughter. Who's Maya Rudolph? <laughs> Look her up. Have you seen her in Bridesmaid, Saturday Night Live? Oh, okay, right, yeah. Really, really funny. Yeah, I think I know, yeah, now. Yeah. Now, now, I think I now. Yeah, I think I know now, yeah. Now he knows. Mm-hmm. And the singer whose name you couldn't come up with, uh, Susan Boyle was her name. Right, Susan yeah. Boyle. She was the original. Uh-huh. Now, now all those shows go for those kind of characters where somebody comes out, and again, they're a bit awkward, they're shy, yeah. maybe they're not... Yeah. Super attractive, or they're yes. something challenged. quirky. Yes. <laughs> challenged. That's right. I mean, they come out and they're all challenged in some way, and then they just kill it. And then the audience rises, and you get a little bit of a tear. Right. Yeah. But she was the uh, she was the OG in that category. Yeah. 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 You're and right. this is a, my my first appearance since uh, Hebsey suddenly retired during an episode of Hebsey on Sports. Yeah, so. he pulled a Danny Elwell. What was that all about? Uh-huh. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I join him every Friday at 9 a.m. for five years, okay? Five long years. Shout out to Colin James. So I would join him and we'd do it at 9 a.m. live on his YouTube and I'm it's a via, via uh, Zoom. So I join him at like 9 o'clock to do another episode, 332, the 332nd episode. And he says to me, I said, where's the notes? You always send notes and there's no notes. And he goes, no notes today. This is my last show. And I actually thought, he was joking. Like, I thought he was, I was going to, I was laughing out loud, like, very funny, where are the notes or whatever. And he's like, I'm serious, I'm done. And then we just went live, and then I processed it during the uh, the hour. But yeah, he's done. So, no more Hebsey on sports. So, how do you feel about that? It seems like an odd way to do it. You know, yours producer, you're doing the show, as you say, for all those years, to spring it on you that way. Is that really fair, Mike? No, but you guys would not do that. I'll give you guys no, right now. No. You would give me notice or you'd be like, Mike, we're going to wind it down at the end of the uh, millennium or something like that. Well, well, thanks, Mike, for the at least you, you at least you guys wouldn't do that. You cruddy old bastards. But here's the thing. <laughs> I, when, when you told me I'm just teasing when you told me that he quit on you on the air, I said, quit from what? He's doing yeah, an hour. He's re- here. retiring from what? He does an hour a week. What? Actually, that final episode is interesting listening to hear him explain it all. But I'm sorry, interesting? 
<laughs> yeah, but I'm using it because it is interesting. Uh, he uh, like explains that it was ruining his Thursday nights because he was thinking all Thursday night about what his take was on all these things, and he had to follow so much sports because everyone thought he had to have it. Maybe we did think he had to have a take on everything, so it was kind of consuming his week. And all he wants to do is kind of like you, Howard. All he wants to do is golf. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I golf, but I fit in this show, the other show. You know, Spanish every day. You know, I'm I, again. Well, you, you know, talk about overthinking it. You just open the mic, tell us what you think of sports, and then go golfing. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's done. So we've. Uh, this will be tomorrow. Will be the second Friday that I have completely free and clear. That's right. the reason I wanted some notice. Is because I block my. I've been blocking my calendar for ninety minutes every Friday morning for five years. Like people, clients pick time from my calendar via this app. Like it's been blocked forever now. Well, listen, man. So, so did you have that conversation, Mark? Why didn't you give me more notice? And if you did, what was the reply? Well, that was on the... Yeah, of course. We talked about it on that episode. And he said uh, he only made the decision on the Thursday night with his girlfriend, Mm -hmm. uh, Serena. And he and Serena talked about, should they tell me now or tomorrow? And they just... I guess they decided to tell me when they told the world. Well, great. Good for him. Serena. Yeah, uh, um, hey, uh, Tim Daniels is here. Oh, so can I play yeah, no, 30 this, seconds? Yeah, just give, I'm, yes. give, I'm giving the standby signal. Hang on, everyone. Just relax. God I used my it. whole five minutes on Hebsy, so. Go ahead. All right, this is Sandra Plagakis on Toronto Mike this week. And, of course, we talked about you guys. Mm. And here's just 30 seconds of how you influenced her. Let's listen. I never laughed so hard that, like, not just, like, when during the show, but, like, from the time I walked in to the time I left. They they taught me, I think, the greatest lesson in morning radio. The show does not happen when the mics are turned on. The show starts from the time you walk in studio oh. to the time you leave. You're putting that energy in. The whole time you're fucking around, you're feeding off the energy of the people around you. And that's that's how... I still do morning radio. It's not a quiet room when the mics are off at all. I don't like that. I don't think that's the way to do it. Oh, she's the greatest. I, uh, mm-hmm. I send her notes constantly on uh, the Twitter. I just I freaking love her. <laughs> and she's right. You know, we always had kind of a fun vibe in the studio. That's why we created that, so that uh, feature, Humble and Fred Raw, as uh, Jason Barr. I, he used to tape us with the, yeah. everyone in the studio, Pete, me, Freddie, whoever was hanging around. And because we'd be laughing our heads off, and we, it was the stuff we couldn't play on the show because it was filled with swear words. But when we first started this podcast, I referenced that. I said, that the show we're doing now is the show we were doing off the air all the years mm-hmm. we were waiting for the songs to end. Right. Last fun fact before I leave the Zoom here is that Jason Barr currently shares the same building as Sandra Plagakis. Yeah. Like they're morning shows for companies owned, I mean, uh, stations owned by the same company. So... Isn't that a fun fact? You're a fun fact. And uh, and again, respect to you. Respect. Respect to you is my word of the mm-hmm. week. Because of all you do for us and so many others. The I'll come back after you finish the show just for like a post chat. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. I'll come back. Catch up. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Because <laughs> I can't hang around too much today, but that's fine. You know, it's been months now since we've had uh, a chance to chat with this guy. You know, there was a there, there, there was a time where I was talking to him privately every couple of weeks. I thought, you know, hey, we're buddies. We're both from Moose Jaw. And then what happened is this. You know a guy, first of all, he's way smarter than me. You too, by the way. Yeah. Way smarter. 
and way more successful because at some point he's like, no, I have now gotten so busy, I don't have time for these knuckleheads. Uh, welcome back to our program, the man that brings you AaronVentures.com, a.k.a. Bore on One, live from Florence, Italy. There's me, amigo, Tim Daniels. Look at you. Look at you. You boys, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a while. So you're you're back in Italy now, and I see you're wearing uh, a jacket with the Italian crest on it as well. Oh, yes, this is the uh, official uh, Italian rugby team jacket. Cool. Uh, don't ask me about their rugby team; they <laughs> suck. But <laughs> but I enjoy going to the matches. So right on. I, this is a, a true story. Mm. Playing golf yesterday—that's no surprise. Was somebody was talking about their trip to Florence, and you know sometimes when you hear somebody tell a story, you don't always have to like try and step in and you know one up them. And I didn't in this case. They were talking about what a great trip they had, but in my mind, I was like, oh yeah. I got a buddy that fucking lives in Florence, okay? So, you know, <laughs> what do you what do you think of that? But I didn't. Uh, thinking about you coming on the show. And speaking of my buddy, how are you? Per- let's get personal, and then we'll talk professional. You all right? Yeah, doing well. I mean, you know, no complaints. Nobody listens anyway, so why bother? <laughs> but uh, no, everything's good. Um, busier than I'd like to be, but, but busy's good. You know, I find that... Uh, I've got times in my life when I'm busy and times when I'm not, and I'm far happier and I make far more money when I'm busy than when I'm not. So, so I like to complain about being busy, but right. honestly, but, but I, I'm, I'm remind everybody, you've also got young kids, uh, even, and you're, you know, you're yeah. a little younger than me, but how old are your children? Uh, eight and six. So yeah, wow. so it's. So, yeah, they're a handful uh, keeping up with them. That's why, <laughs> that's why Tim's in his office and the door is closed. So, exactly. what, Tim, given where you live now, what would their first language be? Um, well, it depends. So, amongst themselves, it's Italian. Um, that's their wow. default. Um, with me, it's almost exclusively English. With their mother, it's almost exclusively Serbian. With uh, that's wow. her first language, and that's what she taught them. Um, and so, when she comes up to a stranger, um, she'll usually they'll usually default to uh, Italian first. And if they don't get a reaction, they'll switch to English. Jeez. If they don't get a reaction, that's they'll, great. They'll keep trying another language until uh, until they finally get a response. And that's fantastic. Them, all three languages are like you know first uh, first languages for them. They're equally wow. as uh, mm-hmm. as adept with one uh, as as the next, and their accents are are spot on. Their uh, uh, their Italian accent is like perfect Florentine. Mm-hmm. Uh, their English they they sound like you know us good old Canadian boys do. Um, and yeah, so they've uh, they've kind of you know uh, they had a great advantage over. Oh, I say, like say. Yeah. I, I was, Howard and I going well, up to Moose Jaw. No, yeah, and, yeah, and here's fun. the thing: what, what what was wrong with our school system is that they let us drop. They didn't make us start speaking French till grade seven. Your yeah. uh, brother-in-law, or your I think your ex-brother-in-law, right. was my French teacher. Oh, it, that's right. Yeah, brother-in-law, yeah. Monsieur Thibault. Mm-hmm. Monsieur was it Thibault or Bordeaux? 
Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Yeah, so he, he, he was, he was he, there summer visiting. So, so, so he was uh, my teacher. His brother-in-law was my teacher, grade seven, eight, and then you could drop it in grade nine. I interviewed a psychologist. Right. I, I, this, I interviewed this scientist yesterday, a really smart guy. He was talking about how brains work and how we learn. He said, human beings after the age of 25, it takes exponentially some number of times longer to learn anything, especially language. Mm-hmm. That's why your your kids, my kids went to French only school like at age three, four and five. They have no idea why they speak French. It's because they learned at that age. Are, are your kids yeah. fluent in French, Howard? Oh, yeah. Both of them are. Wow. Yeah. For, yeah well, we, Spencer better than Charlie, but they're both mm-hmm. fluent. What's that? Uh, we, we've got some good friends here. And it, it, to the point you just made, um, they're fluent in English, Spanish and Italian. But growing up in the household, they pretty much only heard uh, Spanish at school. It was only Italian. And it was when they were about six, seven years old that uh, the daughter, one day she turned to her mother. But it didn't dawn on her in the house because that was just like the in-house language. It was when they actually flew back to visit uh, in, uh, their family in, in, in Spain and the daughter, for the first time, realized that, that she was speaking Spanish, not Italian. You know, it, it, this mm-hmm. language, this house language actually had a name. And she turned to her mother and said, Mom, when did I learn to speak Spanish? <laughs> you know, like, she was, was totally shocked. That, that that's amazing. She yeah. But she was speaking it from birth. And that's what how kids are. They, they, they don't, you know, try to compartmentalize that I'm speaking English, I'm speaking right. They just speak. They don't have they don't have the self-consciousness and uh, they make those it's it's myelin. The connections in the brain happen more naturally. You know, we've been talking about Aaron Ventures now for some time. And, you know, and I I famously changed the name to Boron One. And one of the things I keep referencing when I talk about it. And by the way, we could use some more talking points at some point. But here's the thing. There's only a few places on Earth that are viable commercially getting boron out of the ground. So I want to talk about two things today. Why is it so difficult and why has boron won? What's the advantage for people? And and also sort of two way is AaronVentures.com still the portal to find out more about boron one? Yes. Okay. It is. Um, Our new website should be live any day now. Um, Well, let us know. But but yeah, so as of today, um, if if people go to, uh, well, if you go to Boron One, it will redirect you to Aaron Ventures. But the easier way is just go to AaronVentures.com, E-R-I-N Ventures.com, and uh, it'll give you all the information. So back to your question, Howard, what what, what was it? Well, you're asking. Yeah, why is why is Boron so difficult to get out of the ground? And, and, And Boron One, one of the few places where... Uh, you can actually, uh, it's actually being worked at for commercial purposes. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the simple answer is, is that, you know, boron is found in trace amounts all over Earth. Um, and in fact, it's, it's, it's an absolutely essential micronutrient. Um, most crops in the world absolutely, you know, re- uh, um, uh, require boron um, to, to flourish. Um, but there isn't enough boron in the soil naturally. There certainly isn't enough uh, in most spots of the world to actually mine it out economically. Um, and so you actually only find about a half dozen 
um, locations in the entire world where there is high enough concentration of boron where you can mine it out and, and make money. Um, so that, that, that's a simple answer is that it's, it's just the, um, it's, it's one of the minerals that is found just in highly concentrated areas. Um, lithium is similar and lithium is next to it on the boron table where boron is, you know, number five on, on the, the, uh, periodic table lithium's right next to it. So very light materials. And you find trace amounts all over the earth, but in, um, um, you know, concentrations large enough that you can mine it and make money. There's, uh, there's very small handfuls uh, around the world. And, that's and, you're, and, you're, and you're a very, very busy man, and most of your time is taken up getting in a position to get at that boron. Yeah, you know, I, um, you know unfortunately, a great deal of my time is spent um, with... Uh, governments and regulators and uh, investment bankers and, you know, all that, all that, you know, necessary, but, but boring, you know, business and, and, and uh, uh, social impact, environmental impact, uh, governance issues, those sorts of things. So that's uh, pretty much what my life is relegated to is uh, dealing with those sorts of, of, of bodies, um, which I don't enjoy. I really do enjoy being, out on the property site uh, with uh, with the mm-hmm. boys, you know, with our, our mining engineers and geologists. So, and, so right. uh, and and having uh, followed this story as we have for a while, and not to disclose yeah. too much personal stuff, but how 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 far along the process? And I, I we because what we say to people is here, have your advisor go check out the company. Uh, this is one yes. of the few places on earth that does it. And where yes. where are we sort of on the continuum in this complex world that you occupy? Yeah. Yeah. So we are in the uh, the licensing process. We've finished the slow, expensive, high risk part of the venture, which is finding a deposit. Um, um, the statistics show that uh, for about every two or three thousand properties that are explored for any mineral, not not just specifically for boron, but for anything one of those properties actually becomes a mine one day. Um, So your chances of finding uh, enough of anything in abundance for it to be economic is is very, very slim. Um, So that part of the work is slow and expensive and, and of course, very, very risky. That's behind us now. We've got the deposit. We know that we've got uh, a couple billion dollars worth of boron, which represents about... uh, 20 to 30 years worth of supply and the deposit is is open in a couple directions so there's still good uh, uh, opportunity to expand the, uh, the the resource so so again that part of it is behind us and that was slow and expensive and, and high risk um, now we're entering into the fun stage which is um, permitting and, and uh, uh, do putting all the steps in place to actually build the mine. Um, and, uh, uh, and we're well along in that process. And so by about, if everything goes uh, uh, really, really well, which it seldom does in this world, but if it does, um, uh, towards the end of 2026, we could actually be in, into production in, in the cool. mine. Wow. Um, so, uh, so it's, it's, it's coming along nicely, and we're we're entering into that that fun stage where 
you uh, uh, you get the uh, um, you know the slow, risky, expensive part behind you, and you start making money on the other side. Well, and uh, and there's really some terrific money to be made. Again, because it's a real high demand mineral, um, decarbonization, it, 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 uh, which is on you know everybody's lips these days. Um, I mean, you know, statistics that come out every month show it's you know yet another record hot month and and so on on planet Earth, and so everybody is concerned about you know how do we decarbonize? How do we get off fossil fuels and do it now before? We cross over that Rubicon of 1.5 degrees Celsius. Right. Uh, well, how, and how does boron no, contribute to that? How does boron contribute to the well, decarbonization? Because all the all the the the, the green energies um, rely on boron. So if you're talking about solar panels, you need boron. Uh, rechargeable batteries, you need boron. Wind turbines to generate power, you need boron. Making our buildings more energy efficient uh, so they stay warmer in the winter, cool in the summer, you need boron. Uh, nuclear fusion, uh, hydrogen fuel cells, wow. on and on and on. Electric vehicles, you need boron. There's more boron in a Tesla than lithium in a Tesla. Um, so in all these uh, uh, green energies, um, which Every government, every business, every household is looking to, you know, do their part in the future um, to, you know, get off fossil fuels and get onto the the green energies. Um, Each one of those green energies absolutely require boron to make them work. So for that reason, you know, boron is in extremely high demand now. Timmy, Um, prior to, yeah. No, go ahead. Just finish up and then we're going to have to uh, close down because we have. uh... Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, prior to. Uh, the uh, this, this um, impetus, which has kind of put the world over the over the tipping point, you know, towards green energy, there was a balance in the boron market. It, it was a, an uneven balance, but supply and demand were about even with each other. Now, because of decarbonization, the demand side has gone way out of control. And uh, demand is is expected to grow um, about 10 times um, what it historically was. And there just isn't enough boron around uh, to fill that need. But here I come. And look at you dancing. This is is why I always say talk to our Sherpa or the guy that's handling your uh, investments. It's not a bad place to look. AaronVentures.com. Uh, really glad to see you again. I know you and I are going to put off our chat because you got to go to the dentist, but uh, I'll reach out with a couple of times. Uh, all the best, and, and we're, we're really happy to have you on board. Just once again, you can go to AaronVentures.com. As soon as the other site is live, send me a note, so I'll switch it up. Yes. And have one of your guys just send us some more information, because what you just said is another reason. There's a lot of great stuff there and why people should check out your company. Thanks, Timmy. I will do that. Thanks, and Tim. Great being back on the show. I look forward to doing Yeah, we this missed more you, pal. Often. Yeah, me okay, too. Okay, pal. Have a great day. You Good too, to partner. See have a fun visit at the dentist. All right. See, there's a guy, Fred. There's a guy, smart, young children, lives in Florence. Need this I know, nonsense. I know, I know, Howard. You know, if the show ends, we should head over to Serbia with a couple of shovels and get to her. That's hey, right. And we've been, her. Sho- we've been shoveling shit for so long. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, as a young man, I did. I shoveled a lot of shit. 
Seriously? Literally? Yeah. I mean, well, I had horses. I used to take oh, care of right. them. Oh, right. <clears throat> horses. Yes, horses. I know. You always think I've never done any real man work, but I've done some fight. I, I took, in fact, I took care of about 10 horses at one time, one winter, because I lived on this farm and I had a couple yeah. of my guys there. So I, I fucking took care of them. I fed them. I shoveled their shit. You know what? Horse shit isn't. Horse shit doesn't smell too bad. No, it's a lot of hay. Horse piss, on the other hand. No oh, good. horse piss, Howard. Oh, come on. No, I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Horse no, it's piss. true. It's really, it's very, you've got a strong ammonia vibe ammonia, to yeah. Ammonia, ammonia. Scrub um, the floors with that shit. So uh, tomorrow is our uh, Friday email show brought to you by Palma Pasta. Thanks to uh, Tim Daniels there. Great information about boron mining. Mike Boone, Mike Boone, Toronto Mike Boone. Listen to his show. It's got a Friday opening if you're looking to produce a podcast. Uh, we're off uh, tomorrow. We're off Monday. Well, we're not off tomorrow. Sorry, we do an email show. What am I saying? <laughs> we're off Monday for Victoria's birthday. Dan, big long weekend at the trailer. Mm-hmm. And maybe when we come back Tuesday, because I, I I'm running out of time here. But you got I wrote it down because I wanted to ask you. You had your interview with the documentary people. Oh, me? Yeah. Yes, I did, yeah. They're doing a documentary on you? Yes. Oh. <laughs> they are. Here we go. Yeah. The Brampton wow. Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the Bur- yeah. the mm. Peterborough Chamber yeah. of Commerce presents Dan mm-hmm. Duran today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan Duran's The man, the legend. No, there was a CFNY. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. that uh, one. Yeah. But I'm curious. So. I, when did you do that? A couple days ago? Uh, it was on Monday, I think, yeah. And all this week has gone by. You never said, hey, guys, I did that thing. Uh, here's some some shit for the show. How oh, did, did well, it, I, there was no, you know, always in. Oh, okay, are we waiting until Monday or is it? There was well, not, no, we're going to wait till Tuesday now because. Uh, okay, we're waiting until Tuesday. Then. I hope it went well. Was there any, did you, did, were, did they make you cry or something? Were you? Uh, it went fine. I, I mentioned it to Fred when I was talking to him when I was concerned about Fred's welfare and uh, it all went good. Yeah. What, what was wrong with Fred? <laughs> He was bowing his head when I was disconnecting from the, the other day. Remember, I yes, said, yeah, "Guys, yeah, I, I have to bow out here." I was, I, he I had clogged too. drains, and I was talking oh, I to the plumber. And Dan thought <laughs> I, I was just, I was just sort of looking down at my phone because I had it on speakerphone. <laughs> so Dan thought I was like in trouble there. No, I know. He, he so called me. He called received me. some horrible news. He called me today. He goes, "Is Fred okay?" I go, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, well, his head was down. I go, "He's always in fucking anguish about something." <laughs> <laughs> All right, chaps. Have a great long, long weekend, everyone. Happy Victoria Day. Hopefully it won't fucking be three degrees, but uh, good luck to one and all. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by the Retirement Sherpa, the Chambers Plan, Bodog, Air Adventures, EVNet.ca, and Architect Outdoor Living, and also our newest and returning sponsor, Alma Pasta. We read all of our emails. The Friday email show's coming up. So Humble and Fred at HumbleandFredRadio.com with your comments. Liking and subscribing really helps us out. So does writing a review and giving us hearts and stars. Please do. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And remember, Queen Victoria is dead. So don't worry about table manners as you celebrate her reign this weekend. Enjoy every goddamn day. Pulling out jobs and jamboree handouts. Two turntables and a microphone. Bottles and cans. Just clap your hands. Just clap your hands. Where's that?